Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to you all. This is day four of the World Economic Forum's 2024 annual meeting in Davos. It's day four of five, but as far as these live broadcasts from the Alps, this is our last of the week. We've been uh, covering all week long the goings-on of the rich and powerful and oftentimes a little bit snobby world elites. We've been doing it because these people are not used to fielding questions from pretty much anyone except fawning and adoring fans. So we've been doing it, but also trying to make sure we can really package it all together and talk about the bigger picture in these live shows. So uh, the coverage will continue, but the Andrew Lawton show will not after tonight. So we'll try to make the most of it and perhaps even have a little bit of fun along the way if it's possible. Well, we're talking about all of these things that are happening, which are, quite frankly are not really things that we should be laughing about or uh, taking uh, not seriously. But as you know, I, I try to take the serious in a way that uh, has a bit of humor injected because that's the only way to tolerate it. But turning that into uh, something that we could perhaps uh, say is rising to the occasion, whatever that means. I'm starting to talk like all these elites uh, in platitudes and whatnot. But uh, here's the thing. A couple of housekeeping items first. One, literally, because uh, we have had this like weird fake steam fireplace on in the background for the last few days. Uh, we had it ready to go. And then uh, Sean came into the room uh, like, I don't know, like 20 minutes ago. And the second he opened the door, the fire went out. So, and he's not like a particularly cold presence. He's a very lovely person. So I, I, I wanted to blame him, but I'm not sure if I can. So uh, suffice it to say, if you were tuning in just for the fake fireplace, you were sorely disappointed, but you can rewatch episodes one through three this week. Uh, one thing I wanted to get to first and foremost was that I did not manage to find Christian Freeland, the deputy prime minister, wandering the streets of Davos either yesterday or today. Her official itinerary said yesterday she was in private meetings all day with other world leaders and whatnot. And then today she had a panel discussion that she was participating in on trade and was supposedly in private meetings for the rest of the day. Uh, we were hoping that maybe she would walk in and out of the public entrance and not the one that you can like get driven in through secretly and dropped off past security so you don't have to mingle with the plebs. Uh, but it seems like she may have taken that option. Or, uh, you know, in the like 10 minutes that I wasn't there, uh, perhaps she waited for that to pounce. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we can weigh in on the comments she said on the record on this panel discussion in a little bit. But I, I want to begin by talking about freedom of speech. Now, I've said in the past, this is my hill to die on. Freedom of speech is the most important right and freedom we have. It is uh, the one, I'm paraphrasing someone who was paraphrasing someone, and I don't even know at this point who the original thinker was of this, but it wasn't me. The line that I heard, which I, I quite enjoyed, was that the reason freedom of speech is the most important freedom is because if you were to take away every other right and freedom we have, except one, freedom of speech, you could use your freedom of speech to win back all of the others. And it's... I think a very romantic and idealistic, but honest way of looking at why this freedom is so important. Because if you lose the freedom to speak, you lose the freedom to think. If you lose those freedoms, you lose the ability to pretty much advocate for any change on anything else in society. So I was, of course, intrigued when freedom of expression ended up once again on the radar 
of the people at Davos. Now, it's not perhaps as sexy an item to them as, say, the need to transition away from oil and gas is, or the need to switch to sustainable this and that, but it is still one that they like to talk about. And, and when all of these leaders are coming together by their own admission because they want to uh, swap ideas and find best practices and follow the commitments and all of that that Klaus Schwab was asking them for on Monday, it's important to hear what they have to say about freedom of expression. Now, one of the things I've been doing this week is going back into the archives and, and talking about ideas that have really driven, I think, why there has been so much frustration with the World Economic Forum's agenda, and when possible, putting even some older comments to people that have never really had to answer for them. And one of those was in May of 2022, my first time covering the World Economic Forum's annual meeting, Julie Inman Grant, who is Australia's e-safety commissioner, was talking about freedom in the context of the internet, rights in the context of the internet. And I'll explain a little bit about who Julie Inman Grant is in the moment, but I first want to jog your memory about what it is she said. Are finding ourselves in a place um, where we're we have increasing polarization everywhere, and everything feels binary when it doesn't need to be. So I think we're going to have to think about a recalibration of a whole range of human rights that are playing out online. You know, from freedom of speech to the freedom to you know to be free from on online violence, or the uh, right of data protection to the right to child dignity. That was the call that she made in 2022, the need to have a recalibration of freedom of speech. Now, as I joked at the time, and, and perhaps have since, I'm all for a recalibration as well, to reset and make sure we start from scratch and have freedom of speech. But she meant it, I suspected, in a different way. And if you want to listen to why this is important to take note of here, listen to how she talks about the tech marketplace of ideas, of how she talks about people being able to use tech platforms like X, formerly Twitter, in 2024. This is a presentation she gave on a World Economic Forum panel yesterday. We've just issued one against uh, X Corp around online hate, where we were able to really get a sense of the extent to which they, they cut their safety engineers by 80%, their um, content moderators by 30%, their public policy people by 70%, and then they enabled um, previously suspended users. So it's like, you know, Volvo firing their designers, their engineers, and then not letting the traffic infraction people and the ambulance in while putting all these dangerous drivers back on the road. You're creating a perfect storm for online hate. So there are lots of different tools in the toolbox that we'll be using differently. But ultimately, the aim is transparency to achieve accountability and to get companies to raise their safety standards so people can have safer, more positive experiences no, I online. I, I think that is the bottom line. I'm going to... We've used our transparency powers um, to really find out what's happening under the hood. Um, what technologies are you using? What are you doing or not doing to scan for child sexual abuse or um, tech terrorist content? So that was Julie Inman Grant. I, I think we accidentally included the bit of another clip in there, but the point that she was making was that uh, Elon Musk firing the censors at Twitter slash X is like, you know, carnage on the streets and no fire trucks or ambulances or something like that. I, I don't begrudge anyone for using metaphors. I'm folksy. I use metaphors all the time. Uh, but I do begrudge her for thinking that there is a, an automatic safety risk because these are the terms they use, a safety risk 
when people are exposed to ideas online that they may not like. Now, to give you some context here, Julie Inman Grant, she's American, but she's in Australia as the e-safety commissioner. Now, this is a job that is kind of unique. In fact, it's not kind of unique. It is unique. It's not something we really have anywhere else. It's something we likely will have at some point in Canada. However, as we see Justin Trudeau moving more and more towards a model of online regulation that could be very similar to the one in Australia, but the e-safety commissioner is there to ensure that people have, as, as Julie Eman Grant says, a safe and positive experience online. But I go back to those fundamental rights that she was talking about being in need of recalibration. I would say that a positive experience online is being able to speak freely without the heavy hand of state censorship. Well, I caught up with Julie Inman Grant today in Davos and wanted to ask her exactly where she thinks that line should be on things you should not be allowed to say. Lawton with True North in Canada. I'm just one wondering when you talked about recalibrating free speech a couple of years ago, what were you referring to? I am talking about balancing a range of rights that everyone has a right to online. Where do you think freedom of expression online should be limited? When it undermines other people's freedom of expression and causes significant harm. But that's all I have to say. But that's a subjective term. Like who's to adjudicate what harm is? Is it governments? Well, actually, it is a, the government drew the line on what the threshold was in an investigation is um, taken when somebody reports to a platform when it doesn't conform to their terms of service, they come to us to adjudicate. Do you believe that the First Amendment has too high a bar for the online era? The First Amendment does not apply in Australia. I know, but you're an American, so I thought in general, as, as a standard for freedom of expression, do you think that's too high of one? No, I don't, I don't apply that. I apply my, the laws of the Australian government that the parliamentarians um, provided and the thresholds they provided, and it's measured against those thresholds. Thank you. Yeah, she defers to the Australian parliament, and point taken. I, I wasn't asking her about the First Amendment because I was believing that she was bound to it as someone in an Australian role. I was asking because that is, and I'm going to say this in a video that's coming out soon, uh, that is the gold standard of freedom of expression. And by that, I mean it's the one with the highest bar for what you should be allowed to say. And evidently, she thinks that's too high. So things that you can say in a country like the United States, where you have very strong freedom of speech protections, she does not believe you should be able to say on the internet, at least in Australia. Now, if we see all of these world leaders coming together, swapping their notes and saying, this is how we do it here, you should do it there as well, like that, this is why Canadians need to pay very close attention to this, especially since we are right now in the thick of a massive overhaul of internet regulations in Canada, more internet regulations, more regulation the government has promised on online speech. And absolutely, I think someone, a Canadian Julie Inman Grant is going to be inevitable. But the freedom of expression issue was one that I don't even think people in the World Economic Forum's orbit even see as being an issue. I mean, many of them may see it as being an issue that we have too much freedom of expression. Certainly, I think some of the people I've been trying to ask questions to this week would probably not mind it if uh, press freedoms were abated, or at least in their immediate vicinity. I, I had the chance to catch up with Will I Am, who's a, a singer. He was, I actually, I think he's still in the Black Eyed Peas, uh, which still exists without Fergie. So 
maybe it's not worth existing, but nevertheless, I, we, this is not the Black Eyed Peas uh, evaluation hour, at least not until we, we get to the bonus edition later on. But, uh, but Will I Am, he's an artist. He's been at the World Economic Forum before. I enjoy his music. I was just curious. As an artist, this was nothing to do with WEF. Does he think freedom of expression is under attack? And well, I was pleased that he took the time to uh, chat with me. And, and Avi Yamini of Rebel News happened to be uh, standing nearby as well and, and got in on the action. It was clear he's never really been forced to contemplate that there may be an issue with freedom of expression. Well, I'm just wondering as an artist what you think of the state of freedom of expression right now. You still have it. Do you feel it's under threat? Well, no. When has it? Why would it have be? Well, countries don't always have the same commitment to free speech. If you feel happy, you've answered my question. I just wanted to get your thoughts on it as an artist. Um... I, I think uh, I'm happy that I live in the country that I'm from. I think everybody has the, should have the right to express themselves without uh, hurting other folks. You still have to be mindful we all live on the same planet. Should, should they be censored if they, if they do hurt other folks, their feelings? No, no, no. You want to inspire. But if I hurt your feelings, should I be censored? Depends if you if you were. It depends if you had malicious. If your intent was to hurt me on purpose, then you need to up your love, and you shouldn't. Why 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 do you want to exist in a world where you're purposely trying to hurt somebody's feelings? Now, if things are taken out of context, or I. No, I don't believe in censorship. What I do believe in is trying your hardest to inspire and uplift people. I'm saying what I think is just love, empathy, yeah. inspiration. Do you trust the government to control the internet though? Well, that's a very broad thing. What I did say was Web2 and social media, we didn't get that right. Somebody has to... So Elon know, Musk is trying something else called Community Notes. You're hitting me with a lot of information do, do, I don't know about. Do you, feel the world, do you feel the World Economic Forum is delivering that love and inspiration you're calling for? I don't think as a whole, no. As a whole, it's not just World Economic Forum. It's companies, governments, gangsters. you know, gangsters, a lot of things, bro. I think us, people, you, right? How we, how we conduct in this interview, you trying to get your two cents in, his try, where's the order in that? Respect, honor, hey, you finish, questions ask, right? That, I don't really that. like him, so I don't mind hurting his feelings. Yeah, that's not cool, though. Oh, I'm just joking. I'm okay. I love him. I love him. Yeah, I love cool, him. Bro. I feel like this. I feel like the World Economic Forum is not really about love. It's more about control. You no, know, I'm at Davos, <laughs> and I'm looking for mentors for my students because I have a program teaching kids computer science and robotics, so that when they graduate college, they can fill jobs or create jobs. How long now, have you been doing that for? For for, for twelve years. Now, oh. if you want to come mentor our kids, if you're about that, about that, then. Please feel free to come help inspire our kids to be journalists. Do that. Put your, you know, put your heart where your freaking where your mind is and, and your passion is. That was Will I Am, and again, very pleasant guy. I, you would, I admire being able to be an artist and jet set around the world and perform and have fans and, and see the world in such a positive way. Love and inspiration, great. We all need to do better. Okay, I, I, I don't want to be mad at the guy. But I don't believe he is connected to the real world because that's not the way a lot of people in the real world see things. You can be censored for having the wrong opinion. 
And yes, I, I mentioned that the United States has very strong protections. That's the country he's from. So when he says that, uh, you know, he's lucky to live and grow up where he did, yes, fine. But around the world, that is not the way things are. And it's people in the halls of Davos, walking those halls, who want to infringe on those rights. And I go back to the theme of this year's World Economic Forum Annual Meeting, Rebuilding Trust. And I said at the very outset of this series this week that they were clearly not interested in looking inward and looking in the mirror and realizing that they are the reason that so few people in the world trust them. And one point that I came up with uh, on this was about trusting in something as basic as currency. Because it used to be that you could know how much money was in your pocket. You had a $10 bill in your pocket, you had $10. Well, the governments all around the world now, central banks are talking about central bank digital currencies, digital money. I know all of you, or at least most of you, are skeptical in the very least or outright uh, against this. Uh, one of the people I, I happened upon today was Christine Lagarde, who is a very influential woman in the global financial system. She is the president of the European Central Bank and didn't want to answer a single question. Well, she didn't want to answer a single question in general, uh, but the question I wanted to get an answer from was this. Afternoon, ma'am. How can people have confidence in digital currencies and government not using it as a tool of control? I'm not giving an interview. I'm not speaking because I'm in a quiet period. This is about rebuilding trust this year. How can people have trust in these institutions when governments wield so much control? Mrs. Lagarde bears the privacy of the people. Shouldn't you be answering questions if this conference's theme is rebuilding trust, ma'am? Mrs. Lagarde. I, I got to admire it. I'm actually, I, I'm going to give her a bit of applause. Next time I get asked a question I don't want to answer, I'm just going to say, I'm in a quiet place right now. Uh, when my uh, boss comes to me and says, Andrew, you haven't uh, done your show this week. I, I'm in a quiet place right now. When uh, Canada Revenue Agency calls and says, oh, uh, Mr. Lawton, I don't think you filed your... I'm in a quiet place right now. And no, I'm not talking about the Sandra Bullock movie. I'm in that quiet... I think she was in that. No, that was the blind... No. Yeah, she was in, no, A Quiet Place was Emily Blunt. Okay, I'm not talking about the Emily Blunt movie. I'd say this is why I shouldn't do pop culture or sports now, apparently. I, I make a fool of myself on both. But uh, John, yes, I know John Krasinski was in it. Now Sean's like just telling me the entire cast of that. Sean, I'm in a quiet place right now. I don't need any of this nonsense. <laughs> so, I mean, that's hilarious. You, you say, okay, uh, look, she has the right to walk by. She has the right to not answer my question. Uh, she could have in the time she was telling me she was in a quiet place have just uh, perhaps said, oh, yes, you know, here's the answer to your question, but she didn't. And, you know, maybe it's because she thinks I'm a gnat, I'm a flea, I don't matter, and perhaps she's right, I, I don't matter to her, I, I am irrelevant to her, she has probably already forgotten me. But I will not forget that one of the most powerful bankers in the world could not take just even a few moments while cavorting with people who claim that a crisis of mistrust is plaguing the world, and she could not answer a, sim a simple question, did not want to deign to answer a simple question on why people should trust the government that is pushing digital currency for them. Uh, something very similar happened with uh, Queen Maxima of the Netherlands. Now, it's a bit of a weird sentence for me to say that I was you know, attempting to speak to Queen Maxima of the Netherlands. I am not a, a Dutch monarchist, so I, I have no particular relationship to the monarchy, but I, uh, to the monarchy there, but I respect the institution. And I was kind of surprised, I must admit, that she didn't want to answer a question that maybe was tinged with politics, but still didn't have to elicit a political answer. She opted to say nothing at all. Take a look. 
Any message for the Dutch farmers who've had to shut down because of your government's policies on farming, madam? I was very friendly. I started it with a Your Majesty. I almost got like shoved out of the way by one of her uh, security officials, which uh, has become a common enough occurrence this week that I'm not too bothered by it. But what I was asking her is whether she had a message for farmers in her country, the Netherlands, who because of government policies have not been able to survive. They have shut down their farms. This is a very real phenomenon in the Netherlands. If you followed the Dutch farmer protests, you'll have seen uh, why farmers have risen up against the government. Now, she is the head of state. She's not the elected head of government. But that's why I was asking about a message of support. She was on her way into an event where she was speaking about inclusive financing. And as it happened, when she left the event, she was walking by where I was standing. I, I thought I'd give it one more go. Just any message for Dutch farmers who have been struggling? It's, a, it's, a, it's one question. You can apologize. That's fine. It's, it's a, I'm allowed to ask a question, I believe. That was, I, 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 I toned the question down even. I said, just farmers are struggling. Do you have a message of support for them? And nothing. Instead, I was uh, told by, by one woman who I don't even think was Dutch. She, she sounded American when she was speaking and she you know, apologized, but not really. And I was kind of baffled by that. And I insisted that I had a right to ask a question, which she agreed with, although evidently I did not have a right to an answer. So all of that is to say that these people believe they are above those they represent. And look, if you're the queen, you literally are above the people you represent. So can't argue with the logic on that. She doesn't owe me anything. I'm not Dutch. And even if I were Dutch, she wouldn't owe me a response. But that's the problem is that all of these people don't actually care about that. The president of the European Central Bank can talk about misinformation and disinformation, but doesn't want to say, why should people trust that you and your governments are not going to weaponize digital currency? Dutch farmers in the Netherlands can protest, can protest, can protest, but uh, the Queen does not have to take 15 seconds to tell them why uh, the government and the Crown might, in fact, have their back, probably because they don't. It's the same as John Kerry this week. It's the same as the Prime Minister of Bulgaria yesterday. Who else did we get that didn't want to talk? There have been a few, too many to name. As I joked yesterday, some of the clips we've had of these shows, you look and be like, oh, wow, interview with, you know, the Prime Minister of, you know, blah, 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 blah Stan. And it's like four seconds because it's a question and no answer. So this is why there, there, it's been a bit discouraging in a way the coverage that we've been trying to do here, but, but encouraging at the same time, because we realize that this silence is deafening, that when all of these people do not answer when they keep walking, they're telling us a lot more about them than some scripted pablum answer they may have given would have. And it's why the Javier Malay speech yesterday, by the way, was so powerful. Now, I actually got this morning a retweet, uh, or I, it might have been a like, but I think it was a retweet from uh, Argentinian President Javier Malay on Twitter. I had you know, tweeted something about his speech, and he retweeted it alongside with you know, a bunch of other comments, so I don't think it was too, too personal an endorsement of anything I said. But uh, someone pointed out, I, I should have pulled the screenshot, maybe I'll look at it next week, of the the YouTube page for the World Economic Forum that has like all of the speeches and panels and presentations that have been given this week. And you look at them and they all like 2,000 views, 4,000 views, 1,500 views, seven views or whatever. And then you get to Javier Malay's address and it was at the time, uh, you know, like hundreds of thousands of views. So uh, more people around the world care about what he said than what a lot of these other people said because he actually called them out. 
And there was someone else who did the same thing today, a CEO who decided to call out some of the rhetoric on the so-called energy transition. It was about the, um, you know, having an ideological position on what we can do with fossil fuels over time. Uh, I think my, my, my colleagues in the sector, energy sector, educate me on 80% of the, of the energy generated 40 years ago was from fossil fuels, and 80% of the energy generated today is from fossil fuels. That is the truth, that is the data. And so if we're not going to uh, severely impact costs, Fossil fuels are going to be here way longer yeah. than our politicians talk about. I don't think we're honest in terms of the impact of costs that rapid transitions would engender. I think there are many new innovations driven by technology that can very quickly impact carbon emissions in existing industries. And to do that, you need to also transition the skills in those industries. Yeah. But I think the debate is somewhat skewed, and I would agree with Hozu, very ideological driven, not practical execution, operational, just as you said, Minister. Uh, that is such an important aspect of this, because we have to do it, but how to execute it is going to be really, really important for it to be successful and save the planet. Yeah. That was Jonas Prizing of Manpower Group. And again, what he's saying, he was saying it in a very even-keeled, uh, even-handed, measured way that uh, we are uh, not honest. And he was saying we. He was including himself in that category, but I think he was taking aim at politicians and the WEF set uh, that they're not being honest about the costs of this transition and saying that there is just a statement of fact that fossil fuels are not going anywhere. So this idea that we're going to just eradicate them like that lunatic uh, rant from Al Gore yesterday suggested is, well, it's lunacy. So it was interesting contrasting what he said with what Christian Freeland said, who's the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada and also a member of the WEF Board of Trustees, because she talked about decarbonization. That's the nice little buzzword is it just being no big deal. Take a look. That is new about industrial policy is we are developing our economies, growing our economies at a time when we also need to accomplish the green transition. And I spoke yesterday to a very significant international business leader who is also a big investor in Canada. And he said to me, all the countries in the world need to be very careful that decarbonization does not mean deindustrialization. I thought that was an extremely smart comment, and Canada is absolutely determined that decarbonization for us will mean more jobs, more growth, more manufacturing, and we recognize government needs to play a role to make that happen. So not only does government need to push decarbonization, but, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be more jobs, more growth. Everyone's going to be happy. We're all going to just, you know, inhale unicorn farts and float to the happiest days of our lives. It's just going to be so wonderful. Well, if it's so wonderful, why does the government need to force it? Uh, do you think the moderator asked that question of Christian Freeland? No. I mean, admittedly, the moderator didn't ask Christian Freeland another question, but uh, that may have been more to do with timing than anything personal, sadly. But uh, this was the, again, I would love for someone to have asked 
uh, Christian Freeland, perhaps on the streets, perhaps at a press conference, whatever, uh, how this thing is going to be so easy and how it's going to be so nice and how it's going to make only good things and why that's the case, but government still has to force it to happen. Uh, the reason is because it is a load of nonsense. Anyone who knows anything about energy consumption, not just in Canada, but around the world especially, knows that this dream that they keep pushing is not happening. It's not happening, and even if it does, it's going to take a huge amount of pain. Uh, there was a, a clip a couple of years ago from one speaker who said, yeah, there's pain, but it's going to be worth it. And this was just said so nonchalantly, because again, the people in Davos don't often really care about the struggles of ordinary people around the world. So uh, that is uh, one of the big takeaways here, and I think it's probably something that we knew but we're seeing more and more of a reminder of with each passing day. Now, I, I said we'd do something a little bit lighter here. So I had a request from a viewer named Cheryl because I, I've been talking all week about how we have to go back and forth every day from our hotel in Austria to uh, Switzerland, to Davos, Switzerland. And uh, Cheryl had said, well, maybe you could share a video of your drive. So I figured, okay, uh, what better way to do this than to just like, you know, get Sean, who's been filming so much, uh, to just film a, a little snippet of me taking in the beautiful scenery uh, as we made our way uh, this morning from our hotel to Davos. Wow. Ooh. Oh, okay. Look at that. Beautiful. Oh, gorgeous. All right, had to have some fun with you. That was like one of the like million, you know, four kilometer long tunnels you have to go through. So uh, yeah, driving in Switzerland, we learned, is not for the claustrophobic. But uh, no, 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 by popular request, by which I mean the one lovely lady who asked for it, here is an actual uh, behind the scenes view of our way to Davos this morning. Well, we are on our way into Davos. We are, I think, about uh, 25 minutes out of the village. So we're just getting to that fun part where we have to like just drive and zigzag until we get up the mountain. But uh, you can see on the right there, uh, the beautiful mountains of the Swiss Alps. Uh, we had a request from Cheryl to show a little bit of the scenery that we enjoy, which is a, a bit of a stretch at this point on the daily commute from our uh, hotel in Dornburn, Austria, to uh, the center of the action for the World Economic Forum's annual meeting, which is in uh, Davos. Uh, Sean is filming right now, so you don't see him, but we've got uh, Cosman riding shotgun, Cosman Georgia from True North, and, and yours truly driving. We've been uh, alternating-ish. I, I think I took a day of, of not driving yesterday. Cosman's, uh, you've clocked a few more kilometers than me. How's the, uh, how's the Swiss-Austrian driving experience? Driving is... A little bit different. The roads are smaller. The cars are smaller. Sometimes it looks like you're going in the opposite direction when you're entering a highway. But altogether, the scenery is beautiful, and it hasn't been too bad. Yeah, I, the one thing I do love is the uh, like the not the interstate, but like the big highways in Switzerland or uh, Austria, especially because the limit's 130 kilometers an hour which uh, is great. So you make up all that time and then you get to here. And if you're like behind, you know, some slow moving transport vehicle, you are, uh, you know, kind of stuck for the most of the drive here. But it's a nice little drive. It's uh, the roads haven't been too, too bad. Weather has been kind of cooperative all week, I, I think anyway, which is good. So 
Uh, oh my goodness. Okay, we're coming up on a uh, we're coming up on one of the security checkpoints. So we'll have to end it here, but we'll have a, a full report on today's Andrew Lawton show. And uh, thank you again to everyone for all your support. Now, as it happened, we weren't coming up on a security checkpoint. You can hear faintly in the background a GPS that won't shut up. That's because, like, in my uh, like excitement to share the drive with you, I took a wrong turn. And I had to do like a U-turn on one of those zigzaggy mountain roads. So I did it in a safe way. They have some, you know, pull-offs pull and uh, turn-offs and all of that. So uh, that basically the whole driving experience has been a turn-off for me. I'm like the worst uh, non-urban dweller imaginable because I, I don't love driving. But uh, it's been good. We, we've been we've been tag-teaming it here. But uh, nevertheless, uh, this is the long-awaited True North minivan. So uh, one person on our team suggested we could have just skipped the hotel and uh, slept in the van, but uh, maybe 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 by World Economic Forum 2032 we'll start doing that. But uh, uh, at a certain point, it'll have to be electric too, and you know we haven't seen too many charging stations. So uh, anyway, that does it for us for today. Uh, we will have more coverage over the next few days from the World Economic Forum, but I'm going to be back in the home studio on Monday for more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. I just want to say while I'm speaking to you live, thank you to all of you who have been tuning into our coverage. And supporting our coverage, it's uh, it's expensive to do this. I mean, we brought three people overseas, but uh, we did it because it's important and uh, because these are questions that are not being asked by anyone else. And even the ones that aren't answered, I think it's important that their refusal to answer is put on record in the way that it is. So we'll have some other goodies from the week that didn't fit into the shows available next week. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to support what we're doing here, please head over to donate.tnc.news, and I will see you next time. Thank you, God bless, and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.